Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello and welcome to episode 336 of the UK True Crime Podcast. I'm Adam. Today's story is an unusual murder, a really unusual murder from Edinburgh. A murder that threw up all sorts of complications for the police and prosecutors. Now, I know you're going to be upset, but there are no adverts today. I know, I know, I know. But next week, maybe, if you're super lucky. It does mean we can go straight on to our guest of the month and year game. At number one in the UK charts this week was Good Times with Roll Deep. In the US, it was Bobby Ray Simmons Jr. featuring Bruno Mars with Nothing On You in the top spot. And the number one album in Australia at this time was Friend of the Show, The Bieber with My Worlds. In the news this month, the last piece of the Yankee Stadium fell in the Bronx, New York, marking the end of the two-year demolition process. Call Me Dave became Prime Minister of the UK after forming a coalition government between Facebook's very own Nick Clegg's Liberal Democrats and his own Conservative Party. The honeymoon didn't last too long as by the end of the month, David Laws resigned as Chief Secretary to the Treasury after admitting he had claimed expenses to pay rent to his partner. I don't know about you, but with so many of these political scandals, I'm never sure whether I'm angry with what they've actually done or just their sheer stupidity. Anyway, also this month, Drogba got the winner as Chelsea beat Portsmouth 1-0 in the FA Cup final. That's before Chelsea were a mid-table side. Obviously, (laughs) supporting the mighty Leeds United, I'm a very loose ground there, so let's move on. Andrew Wakefield, the doctor at the centre of the MMR vaccination scare, was struck off the UK medical register after being found guilty of serious professional misconduct. And finally, in UK true crime news, 40-year-old Stephen Griffiths was charged with the murder of three women whose bodies were found in Bradford. Remember that story? Utterly horrific. So did you guess the month and year? It was, of course, May 2010. Oh well, maybe next week, huh? So let's get on with today's story, which comes from Edinburgh, the capital of Scotland. 38-year-old Suzanne Pilly worked as a bookkeeper at a project management firm, Infrastructure Managers Limited, in Thistle Street in the centre of Edinburgh. The 4th of May 2010 was just like any other day as she got the bus to the centre and then walked a short distance to her office. Suzanne was very close to her parents, Robin and Sylvia, and her older sister, Gail, and that morning, as usual, she texted both her mum and her dad at 8.30am to say she was on her way to work. But when she wasn't at her desk at the normal time, and she hadn't told any of her colleagues she was going to be late or delayed, they started to get worried. Suzanne was hardworking and incredibly reliable and diligent, so they phoned her parents to see if they had any news. They were confused as she had recently texted them to say she was on her way to work, 
But now Suzanne wasn't answering her phone. Concerned, by the afternoon, her parents reported Suzanne to the police as missing. Detectives were immediately worried as Suzanne had spoken to her parents that morning and had not made any arrangements for her pet cat or fish to be looked after. They feared that something may have happened to Suzanne and so they looked firstly more closely into her life. Suzanne was born in Edinburgh and had a happy childhood of her parents and her older sister. Straight after school at Tynecastle, she got into bookkeeping and pursued this career up until when we joined the story in May 2010, and she was good at it. Suzanne had loads going on in her life. She loved the outdoor lifestyle that Edinburgh offers, and going for lots of long walks. She also loved reading, everything from Harry Potter to Scottish history, and Suzanne was a member of different book clubs. Music was another passion, and Suzanne loved a broad selection of music, often going to see live festivals and gigs. Outside work, she had met Peter Durand in 1999, marrying him in Vegas in 2004, and the couple had stayed together until their divorce in 2008. There was no dramatic split, just like so many other couples, they drifted apart. Suzanne had a wide circle of friends, and there was nothing, no obvious reason in her life why anyone would have wanted to harm her in any way. Edinburgh has very good, or very <laughs> or very bad, depending on your view, CCTV. And specialist CCTV analysts examined 84 cameras to try to capture her movements that morning. At 8.19am, Susan was spotted on CCTV cameras. She had spent the night with a new man who she'd recently met, he had dropped her home and she'd got the bus as normal. Suzanne got off the bus at 8.49 and was picked up by another CCTV camera as she walked the final steps of her journey to her office. Then there was a tiny image of Suzanne that could be seen from a more distant camera as she entered her work. But from there, there seemed to be no trace. So she'd actually got as far as her work and then disappeared. What could possibly have happened to her? The police took the disappearance very seriously and a week after she was last seen on the 11th of May, at some considerable expense they began a high-profile public appeal for information using large screens in the centre of Edinburgh showing footage of the CCTV of Suzanne on the day she disappeared hoping to trigger somebody who might have seen her or seen something. A week later on the 18th of May the police issued a statement saying that although they had not found a body, they were now treating the inquiry as a murder investigation. In the background, the investigation was moving at some pace and the police had a prime suspect, Suzanne's colleague, 49-year-old David Gilroy. Some of Suzanne's friends and her family knew that she'd been having an affair with married father of two Gilroy and the extent of the intense affair was clear when detectives were able to gain access to the information from her phone, although the phone itself hadn't been physically recovered. It showed that in the month before Suzanne went missing, Gilroy had sent her over 400 text messages pleading with her not to end their affair. After Suzanne went missing, there were no more messages from him. They stopped abruptly. 
Suzanne's mum told detectives that she had tired of his possessive, manipulative manner. She even suspected him of hacking into a Hotmail account to keep track on her activity and knowing that she was internet dating of contacting her via rogue accounts. I know it's hard to believe, but that does happen. Suzanne had tried to split up with him just 48 hours earlier, which was once again caught on CCTV. Had the fact she'd just spent the night with another man she'd also met online proved to be the trigger for Gilroy to kill her? And if so, how had he done so when she'd arrived at her office? Detectives believe that he'd lured Suzanne to the basements of the office building where they found a recess large enough to store a body. He'd arrived at work by bus that day and colleagues described how he arrived in the office late at about 9.30am and how he seemed to be clammy, sweaty and with scratches on his neck and face. But he quickly seemed to have got his act together as he planned, detectives believed, how to cover up the murder. He made an excuse to go home and collect his car, but before going back to the office, he bought a large number of air fresheners from Superdrug on Prince's Street. He used makeup to cover scratch marks on his hands, and he changed his diary for the week so he could head off to Argyle the next day. Detectives believed that that evening he collected Suzanne's body from the recess and placed it in the boot of his car with the air fresheners ready to dump it in the large forest in Argyle the next day. Specially trained dogs, which identify the smell of human remains, showed interest in the boot of Gilroy's Vauxhall Vectra and also the recessed part of the garage at his office where he would have loaded Suzanne's body into the vehicle. The evening after Suzanne went missing, Gilroy went to a presentation at his daughter's school with his wife before going for dinner in Edinburgh that night. Had he really done all of that with Suzanne's body in the boot of his car? The next day in Argyle, the actions taken by Gilroy further raised suspicion. After analysing where CCTV picked up his car, police had recreated the journey he made to Argyle and back a number of times and concluded he'd taken two hours longer than their average time each way. And 124 Additional miles were unaccounted for. There was vegetation found on the bottom of his car, which also had three fractured coil springs, strongly suggesting that the car had been driven off-road. All of this strongly suggested that Gilroy had been driving off-road over rough terrain, and that is because he had used the Argyle trip to dispose of Suzanne's body. On the next day, the 6th of May, Gilroy was interviewed for over 11 hours by detectives. He continued to maintain his innocence. They noted he wore concealer makeup on his face and he had fresh cuts on his hands, just small crescent-shaped marks like someone had dug their fingernails in. A pathologist would later suggest that these injuries were often made by a victim of strangulation, trying to remove the hands of the attacker. But Gilroy, he just completely dismissed this, saying they came from innocent gardening. And the pathologist had to agree this was possible. And Gilroy's legal team also cast doubts on all the theories posed by detectives. They noted that the CCTV coverage shows Suzanne on her way to work, but it does not definitively 
show her arriving at the office. A suspicious car was known to the police to have been parked on the same road as her office that morning and was seen driving illegally minutes after the last time that Suzanne was last seen. Had somebody in that car taken Suzanne? And another potential witness came forward to say that they saw Suzanne in a shopping centre after the time that detectives believed she was killed by Gilroy. Was he their man? Gilroy didn't deny the affair, but he said he was trying to get life back on track with his wife and children, and anyway, she too was moving on and seeing other men. He agreed they texted a lot, and he particularly texted her a lot, but the messages showed they still got on okay, and they were playing those emotional games that we often see when a relationship is coming to an end. He said that after the last weekend he'd spent with Suzanne, the one before she had disappeared, he'd agreed with his wife that the affair was over and there would be no more contact with Suzanne. In fact, on the 2nd of May, he told how he and Suzanne took part in a Buddhist-style religious ceremony, writing their feelings down on pieces of paper and burning them. Detectives didn't buy it. Suzanne's text with the man she just started seeing, Mark Brooks, showed how she was still trying to get Gilroy well and truly out of her life. She and Mark had their first date on May the 1st, the day after she broke up with Gilroy, and they arranged to meet again the next night. But she cancelled texting him, I can't come out tonight, it's complicated, I've got a visitor, take care. But the next day she sent another text to him, saying that Gilroy wouldn't leave her house and she'd been arguing with him, adding, at least if anything, I managed to drum through to David that it's over and leave me alone. Detectives were even more convinced it was jealousy that had caused him to kill Suzanne. He'd shown this side of his nature before when he threw Suzanne's belongings out of her kitchen window and he hid her mobile phone for three weeks. And he had demonstrated violence too. He was violent towards both his wife and his children, including around the time of the murder. Despite his cool exterior and ability to make excuses that were on the surface feasible, they had no doubt of his guilt. It was now just a matter of proving it to a jury. Okay, let's pause a while for something quite uplifting. Thank you so much to all of you who voted your choice of label for UK True Crime Bloodhound Gin. Now, we have a winner. And to find out which label you went for, there's a video going up very shortly on Instagram at UK True Crime, unboxing the bottle in all its glory. Remember, Bloodhound Gin is an exclusive creation for listeners to this podcast. It's a premium gin developed by the Percy Distillery team, Chrissy and Simon, with a little input from me, of course. With grassy notes and hints of floral and cinnamon, it's wonderfully delicious by the fire listening to your favourite podcast or chilled under the summer sun. Drinking responsibly, of course. And now, thanks to you, it has the perfect label. UK True Crime Bloodhound Gin launches next week, the 2nd of May. And as I say, check out my videos with Percy on Instagram. And even better, get in quick and pre-order your bottle today by going to percydistillery.com slash UKTC and get 10% off using the code UKTC at checkout. UK adults only. Links in the show notes and the socials. 
Every Bottle Sold not only supports this podcast, but adds a donation to the Pads charity looking after rescue dogs like my beautiful Buckley and Dizzy Rascal. Now, that really is nice. It had been a huge investigation. And to prove that Suzanne was dead and so prove a case of murder, the police were able to show that after the day of her disappearance, she had not used her bank account, her passport, credit cards, bus pass, and she'd not contacted any members of her family or any friends. They desperately needed to find her body, and the inquiry saw police speak to nearly 1,500 potential witnesses and take almost 1,200 statements. They gathered almost 2,400 productions using evidence, and in the end they got CCTV footage from 250 different locations and 30 different areas in Argyle were subject to coordinated searches. But still Suzanne's body cannot be found. But despite this, they still thought they had enough to gain a conviction. Gilroy's wife Andrea stood by him during the trial and refused to give evidence against him. But a jury at the High Court in Edinburgh took almost two days to reach their majority verdict of guilty of murder. Gilroy stared straight ahead of him as the verdict was read out and his wife, Andrea, dipped her head. There was sobbing from Suzanne's family. As the courtroom emptied, there were emotional scenes. Gilroy's wife, Andrea, left court with his dad and a group of friends. One member of the public confronted them, shouting, Do you know where the body is buried? Another asked, Why did you stand by him? In a dignified statement outside court, Suzanne's family said, This day has been a long time coming, but finally Suzanne has received the justice she deserved. As a family, we continue to struggle to come to terms of losing her. We've lost our daughter, but her memory lives on in everyone who knew her. Suzanne was a devoted daughter, supportive friend and an exemplary colleague. She was a proud Scot who led a full and active life and enjoyed the great outdoors, always walking, cycling, keeping fit. We've been met with nothing but kindness from her many friends during this time of great sorrow. Although the trial has ended, our ordeal goes on, and we hope that one day we can lay our daughter to rest. And on the 10th anniversary of Suzanne's death in 2020, her family again spoke about the pain of being unable to say a proper goodbye until she's found. Her dad, Rob, died in February 2019 without ever knowing what happened to his daughter. Suzanne's sister, Gail, she said, For the past decade we've lived in a state of limbo, waiting for the news that Suzanne's body had been found, but we've never been able to get that closure. We accept that Suzanne was murdered and believe that the person responsible is in prison, but we feel we cannot say a proper goodbye until her body is found. Both my mother and I want to again thank the public who have continued to contact the police which has always given us hope that Suzanne has not been forgotten. We understand that only one person can tell us where Suzanne is but has refused to do so. Police Scotland will respond to any information and are committed to bringing us some form of closure. Their investigation can only conclude when Suzanne is found so I would plead with anyone who knows something but hasn't come forward to search their conscience and get in touch. Not for our sake, but for Suzanne's. 
please let us give her the burial and send-off she deserves. One other item I should mention here is the support that Suzanne's employer gave to the police investigation. In what must have been a terrible time for them with one employee murdered by another employee at their premises. It later emerged that Gilroy was sacked from his job there in July 2010, two months after he murdered Suzanne. In December 2012, Gilroy appealed against his conviction. This was rejected by the Court of Criminal Appeal in Edinburgh. Then he appealed to the Supreme Court in London. That too was thrown out. His wife, who initially stood by her husband and refused to testify against him in court, has now, along with her children, distanced herself, reverting to her maiden name. But his dad, Benny, and stepmom Linda Gilroy, a former MP, remain supportive. And on the 10-year anniversary of Suzanne's murder, they released a statement concluding, The thing is there will be no closure on this case until the police are faced up with looking in a different direction for the answer as to what happened to Suzanne Pilly on the 4th of May 2010. We will now consider what else we can do to support David in his quest to clear his name, in the hope that a fresh inquiry will take place, which may stand some chance of uncovering the truth. So what do you make of what we've heard today? After struggling to meet the right man, as so many people do, Suzanne finally thought she had in Mark Brooks. They shared interest in music, particularly trance, and both enjoyed outdoor sports, walking, the sea, camping, Like her, enjoyed festivals and the arts, and her mum was hopeful she'd now finally found the one, saying, Suzanne wanted someone to share her life with. She did not want to spend it alone. And she wanted a family too. Yet of course all of this was taken from her on that day in May 2010. So to the case itself, there was no body, no forensic evidence, and yet a man was convicted of murder. I appreciate we didn't hear the full evidence at the trial, but from what you have heard or what else you know about this story, I wonder if you believe that there's enough reasonable doubt in the case for the jury to have found Gilroy not guilty, even if they believe that he was responsible for Suzanne's murder. I wonder. For what it's worth, based on everything I've read, listened to and watched, I think he's absolutely guilty and the appeal courts have backed this up. Frankly, the more you delve into Gilroy's behaviour, the more unpleasant a character he is. But enough of him. This is another of those disturbing stories where the murderer will not give the family the closure that comes with finding a body and providing a proper burial. I can't imagine just how hellish it must be to think of Suzanne lying somewhere in the desolate forests of Argyle Suzanne's dad died before he could find out what happened to his daughter. Surely one day, Gilroy will show the basic decency of sharing with her family and friends just what he has done with Suzanne. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode of the UK True Crime Podcast. To discuss this story and all aspects of UK True Crime, please join almost 90,000 of us on the Facebook group Just search UK True Crime. And to support the show on Patreon, get access to bonus episodes and other exclusive content, just head to patreon.com slash 
UK True Crime. And a huge thank you to my new supporters on Patreon. That's Lisa Chan, Ant Gunn and Helen Lane. Thank you so much, so much for your support. Okay, so all the links to UK True Crime Bloodhound Gin are in the show notes. And you can, of course, follow the story on Instagram at UK True Crime and on all my other social channels. Thank you so much for voting last week for the label. Look out for the unveiling of the bottle with the winning label. And remember to pre-order in time for launch week. Okay, so that's all for me for another week. So until we speak again on Tuesday, please do take it easy. And despite, despite all the others, as we know, it's always the others. Stay classy. Cheerio for now. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.